State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help with funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hot Happy Mess. Celebrate your magic in the middle of life's messes. Hot Happy Mess. I'm Ziri Hall and this is Hot Hot Happy Happy Mess. Oh. Shoot. <laughs> What's up, you guys? Happy Monday. I'm Zuri Hall, and this is Hot Happy Mess. And I'm super excited that you're here today because today we are talking about buying a house. If you have listened to my most recent bonus episodes, then you know that I recently became a first time homeowner. I'm super excited. Yay! It's been two months. And Amazon owns my life and probably my firstborn child at this point. They have all my money. Uh, But it's a really big deal. It's exciting. It's stressful. It's competitive. And it's like no matter where in the country you are right now, like the market is just wild. It doesn't make sense compared to the whole we just had a global pandemic thing. Um, But first time home ownership is still very much connected to, you know, the traditional American dream. You know, it seems more than ever that millennials are being urged to buy a home. And it's not just for sentimental reasons, but also as an investment option, which is what I'm excited to talk with y'all about, too, is how to make not just your money work for you, but your home work for you. We're going to touch on house hacking a little bit in this episode and and maybe dive in a little bit more in the future into real estate investing. Uh, But in today's episode, I just want to break down home ownership from a 101 perspective. Okay. So if you're thinking about buying a home, if you are just obsessively on Redfin and Zillow being nosy, looking at other people's houses, like I am, um, if you have started the process, maybe you're shopping and you're realizing you don't actually know what all you should expect, particularly after you put an offer in on a home, uh, then this will be a great way to just kind of walk you through that process. We have an awesome expert who's going to guide us through her house hacking journey, Uh, So we're going to break down home ownership. We're going to talk about navigating, um, you know, negotiations, escrow, uh, the down payment, loans you may qualify for, or incentives because you're a first time home buyer. Like I said, if you've listened to my bonus episode where I talk about just buying a house, if you haven't, you should go listen. 
But in it, I talk about how I kind of stumbled through a lot of stuff. I had really great realtors who really uh, kind of guided me through and gave me their know-how and held my hand. But a lot of times I kind of felt like I was flying blind when I was solo because I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know any of this stuff. Should I have read a book first? But I don't like to read instructions before I put furniture together. I just like to do it. Uh, but me and my friends, uh, a lot of us have recently bought homes in the past year and I'm not the only one. I know they felt blindsided too, uh, with the first time home buying process. It can be challenging, especially during a pandemic when it feels like some of the rules are changed. So fear not because I got you. Okay. You will feel less alone. I made some mistakes along the way and I'm sharing them with you. Okay. Now, before we talked to our awesome expert. I just want to share with you a super quick iTunes review from a lovely listener at Beautifully Flawed said, I love this podcast. It is relatable and a good start to the week. Ziri and her guests always keep it real and help me to realize it is okay to have a hot, happy mess. Beautifully Flawed, thank you so much for taking the time to leave a review. They mean so much. It's the easiest way to support Hot Happy Mess and it shows people are vibing with what we're sharing with you guys, you know? So if you want to support me, if you want to support the show, just throw a little five-star review down there real quick. Like, okay, go to Apple podcast, type in hot, happy mess, scroll down and boom, baby. All right. Now, are you ready to learn all about buying your first home? What the heck a mortgage is, how to get the best interest rate and all the other good stuff. Okay. Perfect. I'm ready to buckle up. Here we go. All right, y'all, we've got Kendra Barnes. She is a full-time real estate investor and founder of The Key Resource, as seen in Black Enterprise and Forbes. Her real estate investments afforded her the ability, listen to this, to retire from the nine-to-five life at the age of 32. She's got me beat. I just turned 33. I don't want to talk about it. I'm still working, but I love my job, so no shade. She created The Key Resource to inspire, empower, and educate people about the power of home ownership and real estate investment. Kendra, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm so excited to dive into this topic because as all of, you know, our hot, happy mess listeners know, I just closed on my first home ever two months ago. So I am so new to this process and I feel like I've just been sort of flailing in the air and <laughs> trial by error on this journey. So I'm excited to pick your brain. Congrats. That's really awesome. And look, you're not alone because the home ownership process or the home buying process can be so overwhelming that I think mm-hmm. a lot of people kind of get lost in the sauce. So yeah. that's why I love what I do now, like demystifying that whole process. Mm-hmm. And that's the key for me is making content accessible, right? Like you don't know what you don't know. We're in the career and finance series. And so much of my lack of personal financial literacy navigating this housing market was that no one taught me this stuff and it wasn't really accessible. So I love that there are people like you, uh, particularly in this age of the internet where you can reach out quickly and get that guidance uh, to help us figure it out. So before we jump into the nitty gritty of home ownership, I'd love to just get your take on what can be sometimes a controversial topic. Uh, the age-old debate of renting versus buying, right? So this episode yeah. is going to dive into buying, but do you buy into <laughs> to the idea that people should always buy over renting? I think people should do what's best for them. So my thing is to empower and educate people so that if they want to buy a home, then they know how to and they feel like, okay, I can do this. If Kendra can do it, I can do it, right? Because I think representation is so important. Mm-hmm. Um but I think renting is okay if that's what fits your lifestyle and your goals. 
Um, it, you know, especially renting for a season, yeah. like you, being a homeowner isn't always going to be right for where you are in life. Mm-hmm. But as long as you have that information, once you get to a certain stage in life or a certain phase in life, at least you're now empowered to do it the right way. Yeah. So let me ask you this. If you have the means, if you've saved the money, if you can afford mm-hmm. 20% down ideally, or maybe less than that, but with, with various programs and incentives, do you then think you should buy if you could afford too comfortably, or does it still make sense to rent? Because you know we've all heard the saying: if you're gonna pay somebody's mortgage, it should be yours, not your landlord's. <laughs> you know. So, do you believe that? Yeah, I really do believe in home ownership because it gives you so many options. Like if you think about the money you're paying towards rent, um, it's never gonna grow. Mm-hmm. Like owning a home does come with expenses; it can come with its headaches, you know, and things like that. And it may not always be you know, all gravy, but at least you are going to have the option to do something with this asset. Mm -hmm. You can sell it one day, you can rent it out, you know, you can make money off of it, you can pull out the equity and buy some other assets. And so I would just personally, for me, instead of putting money into this black hole that I'll never get back. <laughs> I would rather have something that's going to grow over time. That's going to give me options. Okay. Got it. And I'm a hundred percent with you on that. Look, I, you know, spent all of my twenties paying rent. And for me, like and a lot of people, I think that first, what felt like insurmountable thing was the down payment, right? Like, yeah, yes. I can afford the monthly mortgage or the rent or whatever, clearly, cause I'm paying it for my landlord, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, saving up enough to kind of get in there is what's so uh, challenging sometimes. So, uh, I'm excited to dig in. Uh, we've already touched on, you know, renting versus buying. Obviously we've had a crazy year with the pandemic, uh, job losses, ups and downs, yeah. health issues. Um, and one would expect that the market demand would falter because of that, right? I, even as I was shopping, it was like, oh, I'll, I'm just going to wait for everything to calm down. And then every day I would look out my window and nothing was calming down. I was like, I think I just got to buy a house now. According to CNBC, interest rates are low. Home buyers are butting up against bidding wars and the competition for the record low supply of homes for sale. That is causing home prices to skyrocket at the fastest pace in 15 years. I would love to hear yeah. your perspective on the current market in the States. Yeah. I don't know if it's slowing down anytime soon because what the pandemic did, it, it made us realize a couple things. It was like, one, we could be in our homes you know, for a long period of time being quarantined or if there's a shutdown or whatever. And it's like, we need to love the space we live mm. in. And then it was like that whole thing of having a functional space mm-hmm. beforehand we would come to our homes and, you know, we will entertain every now and then. We'll come here and lay our heads. We eat here, but we're also going to vacation and go to recreational activities. Mm-hmm. But now our homes are the daycare <laughs> and the school and the office. Yeah. And it's like, wait, I need, I need this home. I need, I need it to be like functional. I need it to be right. bigger. So I think the pandemic has done that. And it's also made people realize that like, wait a minute, if I can work from anywhere, why am I living in this expensive mm. area? And that changed everything. So now people are moving to, you know, the lower cost of living areas and still working for the same job that pays them that high paycheck. And that's the game. It really is. Look, I I live in Los Angeles. I'm clearly like in the, in the heart of all of the industry stuff with entertainment, Hollywood, half of my friends, the producers, the directors have peaced out. They're all leaving me for Austin, Texas and Nashville and, and these places where their dollar goes so much further because they can still take the meetings. They can still pitch the screenplays. They can still green light, um, actors because by the way, even auditions, you're self taping now. You're just recording yourself and 
uploading it. So being an actor doesn't mean you have to pack up and move to LA. You can be in Ohio recording your audition from your living room and then sending it to yeah. a casting director. So I love that you sort of extend that, that similarity to the housing market. Yeah, it's this pandemic has been a game changer in so many ways. So I don't know if it's slowing down anytime Uh-oh. soon. Uh-oh, y'all. Okay, well, the podcast <laughs> is for millennial women. And apparently, we millennials are the single largest segment of homebuyers in America. According to a recent study, for the sixth consecutive year, millennials were the largest group of homebuyers, 38%. And we are buying more homes than any other generation, according to the latest yeah. research from the National Association of Realtors. So knowing that this housing market is so brutal, um, would you say, wait, or do you say, you know what, if you've been thinking about it, if you've embraced it, do it now. Should we wait or just do it? Yeah, the wait thing is so tricky to me because I'm like, wait until when? Like, what if you <laughs> wait so long that you miss out on dozens of opportunities to build wealth? Because yeah. home ownership is one of the fundamentals of wealth building. You'd be hard pressed to find one wealthy person that does not own one piece of real estate. I mean, yeah. find that person and show them to me because <laughs> yeah. I have some things to learn from them, right? <laughs> but yeah. um Yeah. So I I really do think that people are more empowered and inspired because social media has given us all this information. It's really leveled the playing field. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really don't think that waiting is the right answer. If you have the money and you have the information and you're ready and it makes sense for you, Mm -hmm. why wait? Yeah. By the way, that's where I got to that point where I'm just like, let's go. We just got to do this or I'll be waiting forever. Um, Your personal opinion. Are we in the middle of a bubble that's going to burst soon? Or is this just what it is now? I don't know. I really, that's so hard to say. Like, we never know what the economy is going to do. But, um, and that's why I say, like, because we don't know, don't wait. If If it's the right time for you, if you have the money, you have the knowledge, and it makes sense for you financially, I'm just like, do it. Just do it. All right, y'all. So we're doing it, okay? For this episode, we're doing it. Uh, Kendra, break it down for us when it comes to a general idea of what we should expect as we are starting this house hunting and then buying process. What should we brace for? So um, the first thing you're going to want to do is get pre-approved. If you're buying the house with a mortgage, which most people are now, if you got cash, you got it like that. Well, then congratulations because you're going to get all the houses in LA. I stayed getting outbid by somebody who was like $1 million. And it was like all cash. I'm like, this is insane. Who just has a million dollars lying around? But um, more power to that person. Listen, good for them. It ain't me, but good for them. (laughs) It's really brutal out there. I mean, especially in those uh, really competitive cities, people are like going into bidding wars and things like that. And so you really have to kind of stick to what your budget is. And you can't go out here just trying to win the house and and you're, you're bidding over budget and things like that. So I would say to people like, Stick to what your budget is and also, um, you know, don't settle either. Like, don't just go out there and get discouraged and be like, well, I just have to take whatever comes to me. Because my thing with real estate investing and in life, too, there's something out there with your name on it. And if something doesn't work out, I know it's really easy to get like emotionally attached to these houses because I've done it, too. You go to the mm-hmm. open house and you start imagining your life there. Same. Yeah. And then that makes you want to just do whatever it takes to get that property. But what I found is that. Those times when I didn't get that property that I wanted so badly and that that door was closed, it's really devastating. But what was on the other side of that that I got that I did end up getting was mm. so much better than that mm-hmm. first thing. I'm like, why did I even want Yeah, that? right? Isn't it oh, crazy? Like, 
Yeah, it, it's nuts. And so I would just say, just just know that there are disappointments, but there's yeah. literally something out there with your name on it. Yeah, so. you're so right about that. You know, my my friends would tell me that. My agent told me that. And I was like, yeah, okay, it's easy for y'all to say. Y'all got y'all houses. <laughs> but when I lost the one that got away, that I just knew that was it. It was for yep. me. It was marked. And then I didn't get it because I actually, I didn't get to put in an offer. I was like 36 hours too short. That's just how quickly the house moved. Um, And I was like, there's not going to be anything like this ever. And then lo and behold, it took another five weeks, but the house that I'm currently in came on the market and the path just cleared for me. And oh my God, I couldn't imagine being anywhere else. But in the moment, it is so emotionally devastating. It is. So happy that you found your house. I did. I'm excited. I'm excited. Now you are no stranger to the buying process. You are a real estate investor. So this is what you do. So break it down for us before we dive into the nitty gritty of kind of how others can do what it is you're doing. um, What exactly do you do and why did you decide that this was the direction that you wanted to take? It's crazy because I never saw myself here. So I started out like I went to college and I went to grad school. I was actually an international economist Mm. for the federal government. I did not like my job at all. And this is in no way nine to five shaming. So I share my story that I retired from my nine to five job. Like I'm financially free. This is in no way saying that you shouldn't work a nine to five. If you love what you do, God bless you. (laughs) I didn't like what I did, but I didn't even know there was a way out. And so I'm like, okay, we're sold this story of you go to school, you get a job, and then you work that job until you're like 70 and then you retire and then you live the life of your dream. And so I was like, I guess I'm stuck here. And I was good at my job or whatever. So I was just kind of going along that trajectory. I played this game called cash flow, which is kind of like Monopoly, but a little bit different. And basically in the game, In order to win, you have to have investments and that investment, uh, those investments bring you passive income, the passive income, that money you make while you're sleeping. That's what fuels the financial freedom. So it's like playing that game made me and my husband realize that, like, wait a minute, we don't have any passive income. Like we're making this good government salary, but our money's not making money. And so that's what pushed us to take the leap into real estate investing. Didn't know what we were doing. We do not come from rich families. We don't come from like a lineage of investors. (laughs) And we just kind of jumped out there. Um, And so we started buying rental properties in the DC area and it just kind of went from there. And then I started teaching people because what I realized too is there's a gap um, in information for young black people. Mm. I don't think that especially eight years ago on social media, people weren't sharing their stories, especially not young black women or young black millennials weren't getting on social media and saying, hey, I'm doing this, you can do it too. And so I think without that representation, there was a disconnect. And my friends started asking me like, how are y'all doing this? Like, where are y'all getting the money? And I'm like, no, you can do it too. Like you literally, you can do it. And so that's kind of how Mm -hmm. I got to where I am today. That is an amazing story. Also, I love that it started with a game that you were playing. You said it was called Cash Flow? Cash Flow, Okay, yeah. okay. And look at y'all now. You guys have this booming business. Um, I want to learn a little bit more about sort of the ins and outs of the day-to-day for you and what you're doing okay. and how other people can do it. But first, I'm curious to know, have you heard of the Black Tax? Yes. Yep. Right. So as defined by author Sean Rochester, the black tax is the financial cost of conscious and unconscious anti-black discrimination. I was reading an article um, just a few days ago and I sent it over to my team for happy mess. Like we've got to talk about this where a black woman listed her house and kept having the inspector come to essentially place a value on her home. And they kept 
saying it was worth less than she knew it was worth. She eventually had her white neighbor or white friend come stand in and pretend to have it be their home. And the value of the house immediately shot up. I would love to hear your perspective as a black woman on the real estate market and the differences that we as people of color face when trying to buy a home. Yeah, the discrimination that we face as people of color in this country, um, you know, with home ownership and real estate investing, it dates back like hundreds of years, right? And so even back to redlining. And for people who don't know, can you break down what redlining is? Yes. And so redlining was like the systematic, uh, basically these banks and lenders were systematically um, forcing Black people to to buy in certain areas and wouldn't allow Black people to get home loans for, you know, what were considered white neighborhoods. And so um, it's very illegal and, and, and just something that set us back because a Black person would literally get denied a loan trying to buy a house in what they deem to be like a white neighborhood and things like that. So they would literally have these maps and that's where the redlining term comes from, where it's like, okay, Black people cannot get a loan for a home in this area. They can only buy in these areas. Um, and so the discrimination is rampant. And so that's illegal now. And, you know, they're not supposed to do that now. But then we see it in other areas like these appraisals where Black people are getting lower appraisals just because the appraiser knows they're Black or they see the pictures on the wall. And if they flip that and put white pictures up, Mm. it changes. Um, And the thing about this is even when getting approved for a loan now, you know, Black people might get a higher interest rate. They could have the same credit score. They could have the same income as their white counterpart. And the tricky thing is, it's really hard to prove. It's so hard to prove because when you're getting an appraisal, when you are getting um, approved for a mortgage, I mean, there's so many things that go mm-hmm. into it. They could say, oh, well, your work history or your this and that. And that's what's so tricky about it. It's In this case, she was able to clearly say, okay, I know it was you know, discrimination, right. but it's really hard to prove in most cases. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. 
When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Let's talk about uh, more of that beginning process, right? So you've figured out, you know, if you're pre-approved, you've gotten through that hurdle. What are the other sort of initial check marks that you need to prepare for when it comes to putting in an offer on a home? Yeah, the the number one thing is when you get that pre-approval letter, say you're approved for $400,000, right? Just because the bank is saying they're going to lend you $400,000 doesn't mean you have to shop Mm -hmm. at the top of your budget. And I would even suggest that you don't because, well, two reasons. One, if you think about that mortgage payment that that $400,000 is going to get you. So say the mortgage payment is, I don't even know, I'm just going to make up a number like $1,500 a month or something. That could change based on property taxes because part of that mortgage payment is your property taxes and property taxes can go up, right? They can increase year over over year. So if that $1,500 a month mortgage payment is at the top of your budget and you really can't afford anything else, I mean, you don't want to be squeezed to a point where you can't pay bills because now your property taxes Mm -hmm. have gone up. So I would really encourage people to think about those things and also think about different expenses that come along with homeownership when you're thinking okay. about your budget. Um, so you're going to get pre-approved. You're going to find a real estate agent and and then start. Are there certain there. platforms that you recommend for hunting? I am obsessed with Redfin and Zillow. I already just bought my house and I still look every day just to be nosy at people's <laughs> houses, see what's on the market because I love it. Um, do you recommend any over the other or is it kind of just free game at this point? My favorite is Redfin. I just love Same. the way the platform looks. Like, I don't mm-hmm. even look at Zillow. I'm not going to lie. Sorry, Zillow. People are listening out there, but Redfin is my Same. favorite. It feels very similar to the MLS. Like, the the MLS is super, like, not user-friendly with the interface because it's not supposed to be. It's more of, like, an internal database, I guess. But Redfin feels yeah. very... Um, way more on the nose with its information. It feels way more updated. So last week on the podcast, we had Tiffany, the budgetista, and she said, yeah, she's awesome. Love her, love her. And she said that the ideal credit score for buying a house, if you want, you know, the the creme de la creme uh, interest rates, et cetera, is about a 750 FICO score or higher. Um, But I'd love Mm -hmm. to hear your perspective on what the options are for buying a house if you have bad credit or no credit at all. I mean, do you pull in a co-signer? What is a co-signer? Can you break it down for us? I'm glad you asked that. So if you're trying to get a mortgage and your credit is not stellar, um, one of the loans that has like a lower credit score requirement is called an FHA loan. And so the last time I checked, I think you can have like a credit score of 580 and Mm -hmm. still get an FHA loan. But listen, if you have a 580 credit score, just because you're approved for the loan doesn't mean it's a good look because that interest rate is going to be higher than mm-hmm. an interest rate for someone who has a better credit score. And so getting a loan with a lower credit score is going to be more mm-hmm. expensive, right? But there are programs like FHA where you can get a uh, loan with a lower credit score. Also, another thing that people can do if you're... Um, have like not so great credit or if you're an entrepreneur, so you don't have like that, you know, the W-2 employment, um, you can consider what's called seller financing. 
And that's basically, instead of going through a bank to get a loan, the seller of the property would act as the bank and you'll basically pay them every month and you'll have, you know, interest, you know, you'll pay interest and things like that, just as you would a mortgage. But instead of going through a bank where they have very strict requirements they have to follow when you're doing seller financing, it's just an agreement between you and the seller and you guys can kind of make it what you want. And that's really good for people with not so great credit or they don't have, like I said, like that steady employment that the banks want to see. So talk to me a little bit about strategies for buying a home, right? You have, how many properties do you have now? If you don't mind me asking, or how many doors, I guess you say? So, and this is a funny thing. When we retired from our government jobs, me and my husband, we both, we only had eight doors and people think like we owned dozens and dozens of properties. And that's the thing about real estate investing and like getting into that comparison game, every market is different. Like eight doors in Washington, D.C. is going to look very different than eight doors in Detroit because the rent or eight doors in L.A. is going to look very different than eight doors in Chicago because we were able to make a lot more with eight doors than most people would. Um, And it's really important to think about like what financial freedom means to every person. So we had a number. If we make this much per month, this will cover our lifestyle and then some. And so it was all about us working towards that number. And that's Mm -hmm. what I would urge everyone to do is to figure out what your financial freedom number is and figure out what it's going to take for you personally to get there. If that's two doors, you know, and, and here's the thing, too. A lot of people out here are eliminating their living expense Mm -hmm. by what's called house hacking. And that's catapulting them to financial freedom as well. And and house hacking is basically buying a multi-unit property. So that's a a building with two apartments, three apartments, or four apartments. You live in one, you rent out the others, Mm -hmm. and your tenants are paying for your living expense. You have this asset that's appreciating Mm -hmm. over time, hopefully. And your your, your tenants are paying that debt for you, and you're living there for free. And so- those are some things to think about when you're thinking about like retiring or becoming financially. Yeah. Free. House hacking is a big one. My best friend and her husband are doing that right now. Um, another close friend of mine have, has done it. And it's like, it's such a smart strategy that I think some people sleep on. Like get a duplex, stay in one side and have someone else pay basically for the whole building. It's crazy. It's, it's like the ultimate life hack. And mm. we did house hack at 1.2. And it's like, One of those things that nobody ever tells you about, just like you said, it's like nobody talks about this stuff. And that's why I'm so passionate about talking about it, um, because there's just so many opportunities out there. How do you feel about fixer uppers? Yeah, I think if you have the patience and (laughs) the time, (laughs) um, they can be really good. But I think people see HGTV and they have a warped sense of how long it really takes. Um, Mm -hmm. And finding the right team to to fix those fixer uppers is is the key. Mm-hmm. And I think that's not accurately reflected on TV either. Girl, because on those shows, they will flip a whole house in 13 seconds and give you a free puppy and on the no way out. I'm what? like, what? <laughs> for, for $35. I'm like, there is no world in which that renovation happened the way they are trying to act like that happened. Exactly. It's just not fair. Unrealistic, guys. Now, you have a, a book, The House Hunting Handbook, and I would love if you could share some of the key points from that book for first-time home buyers, uh, particularly when it comes to the lending process. And then just generally speaking, are there any pitfalls that we should be aware of? 
Yes. If you are a first time home buyer, oh my goodness, you have so many opportunities because you basically are able to tap into all these resources and leverage what's called down payment assistance programs. And I think people hear down payment assistance and they immediately think it's for low income people. And that's not always true. There's so much money out there. There are grants and then there are like first time home buyer programs. And so like loan programs, and you can literally find programs where there's no down payment at all. And so you talked about that, Zuri. You were talking about the down payment is one of the biggest hurdles people face. And it's so true because it's like the mortgage and the rent payment is going to be it's pretty much the same. How much you're paying in rent is probably as much or more than a mortgage. But that down payment is what's keeping people out the game. So mm-hmm. these down payment grants and down payment assistance programs are leveling the playing field. And I really urge everyone to look for those programs first. So the tip, you know, one tip is to try to find some down payment grants for first time home buyers. And also, as you're calling around to different banks and getting pre-approved, ask them, do they have any programs for first time home buyers? It's really important to do that. The second thing that people I just did a poll on Instagram um, of all these homeowners. What's the one thing you wish you had known before you bought your house that that you didn't know? And a lot of people were saying they had no idea they could shop around for lenders. So when you're calling that bank and you're saying, hey, I want to buy a house. Can you pre-approve me? People think that that first bank they talk to, they're locked into. And it's like, no, you have to make sure you're talking to at least three different lenders, because that's how you really get to see if what they're telling you is fair. Mm-hmm. Like they can tell you anything. But once you talk to a, another bank and another one, you're like, hey, why are you guys charging me all these fees? Or why is your interest rate this? When I just talked to two other banks and it's totally different. Mm-hmm. So that's how you can kind of compare and, and negotiate. So those are two things to start out with to keep in got mind. Got it. Got it. No, that that's really great. Um, when it comes to inspection, say you put in the offer, your mm-hmm. offer gets accepted. Uh, congratulations in this market. Because... Oh. Um, <laughs> What should people keep in mind during the inspection process? What is the inspection process and how do we get through it unscathed? So um, the inspection process is when a certified inspector comes out and basically tells you everything that's wrong with the property. They'll walk around the property. It could take about two or three hours. They're going to write you up a long report of like every single thing wrong. And so this is your opportunity to figure out, hey, is this something I want to deal with? Right. And this is your opportunity to now negotiate, because once you see what the issues are that are wrong with the property, then you can go to the seller and say, "Okay, I'm going to need you to lower the price or I'm going to need you to fix these things or I'm going to need you to give me a seller credit, you know, Mm -hmm. um, during closing. And so that's kind of where you get to the the negotiating in the process, because Mm -hmm. you have that inspection report and you're able to see what's wrong with the property. Um, You can also back out of the deal at that time. You have in your contract what's called an inspection contingency. And so this is also your chance to say, you know what, this is more (laughs) than I want to deal with. And we can't come to an agreement because Mm -hmm. the seller is not willing to budge and things like that. What's happening, though, is people are... um, are are waving the inspection to be competitive. And that's really dangerous for first time home buyers. Yes. Tell them why. Because look, this, I fell victim to this. I started realizing people left and right were waving their loan contingencies and their appraisal contingencies. So basically (laughs) they were saying, even if the bank doesn't come through with this bajillion dollars, I'm going to find a way. And I'm like, ooh, that is a big ask. Because if the bank doesn't cover me, I don't know what to tell you. And the same with appraisals. You get your house appraised and then maybe it's below what you're paying significantly, but you already promised that seller 
that you were going to take the house regardless. But what a feeling to realize you overbid by $200,000 because you got caught up in the hype and now you're stuck paying it. Yeah, let's talk about that. So the appraisal is basically that's after the inspection. And that's when an appraiser comes out and basically tells the bank what the value is. So you and the seller have already agreed, hey, I'll pay $200,000 for this house. That's what you guys agreed upon, right? Then the bank sends out an appraiser to say, okay, what's the actual value? And so like you said, if that appraiser says the value is $160,000 and you've already agreed to pay $200,000, the bank says, all right, we know you're approved for X, Y, Z amount, but because this house is only worth $160,000, we are only going to lend you $160,000. Mm-hmm. So if you still want to pay two hundred dollars for it, you're going to have to pay that extra $40,000 difference mm-hmm. out of your own pocket. But here's a point for, for negotiation too. Let's say it comes back and the appraisal comes back lower than what you promised to pay. You can either ask the seller to lower the price to meet the appraisal, or you can order another appraisal, which you'll have to pay for. Mm-hmm. You can order another appraisal if you don't think it was fair. Um, and, um, or you can, you can pay it out of pocket (laughs) if you want. So order another appraisal, Mm -hmm. get the seller to lower the price, or you can pay it out of pocket. Um, or you have that contingency if, you know, you can't get the the financing. So, uh, there are so many inspections, you know, you get mold, you get, uh, the roof, you get pool. If you have a pool, you get all the general inspection. Um, and I realized through my home buying process, I could pick and choose technically what I cared enough to get inspected or not. Mm-hmm. Is there any inspection or all of them that you recommend absolutely doing? And if we're trying to save a few bucks, is there anything that we can waive or not get inspected? You say general is one that we should definitely get. Definitely. And just ask them, you know, their opinion. Should you get any of the specialized one like mold or anything like that? Okay. Uh, Closing costs. What are they? Yeah. So people forget about closing costs and um, you you hear about the down payment. So you have to, you know, bring this down payment to the table, but closing costs are are an extra fee that you also have to pay at closing as well. And it's comprised of several different fees. Like there's tons of different things that should, that are lumped into that. But um, well, pre-pandemic, before it became very competitive, you could often get a seller to cover the closing costs or cover some of the closing costs. But now <laughs> asking for that is one way to easily like not get picked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like a turnoff. Like, okay, I've got all these other people who are willing to just take the house basically sight unseen and you're over here asking me to shove over money on my way out. Extra money. Mm -mm. Exactly. Okay. Got it. Um, when it comes to closing escrow, which is that phase where the house is kind of in that awesome, exciting limbo where it's almost yours, but you've got to clear those final hurdles as far as the loan and the appraisals and the inspections. Um, what are things to keep in mind in the home stretch of closing our escrow? Is there, are there any best practices you recommend? Yes. My favorite tip is um, to tell people that, so you know, when you're preparing for closing, when you get to closing, you're going to be signing hundreds of documents, right? But you're not going to have time to read them all there. And it goes really fast. They're literally like, okay, page one through 20 basically says this, mm-hmm. sign here. And these are some really important documents. This is one of the biggest purchases you'll ever make. Um, and so what I do is I request the documents a day or two before closing so that I can like actually skim through them. Sometimes you'll find errors in there, you know, and you want to understand what you're signing. So if you're the kind of person who likes to actually read what you're signing or at least kind of skim it, request they send you the closing documents at least a day or two before so that when you get there, you're not overwhelmed because it goes really fast. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. And at what point does the house officially become ours? 
Is it like as soon as I sign the last piece of paper is mine? Does the seller have to hand over the key before I can technically enter? Yeah. So at closing, when you sign that last document, then they hand you the keys right Mm. then. And in most cases, it becomes yours right then, unless you know, you have some other agreement with the seller. Sometimes the seller will stay behind and pay you rent until their next house is ready and things like that. Okay. But yeah, usually right at closing, you get those keys and it's yours. There we go. And lastly, any helpful tools, anything you'd recommend to people, uh, potential buyers, uh, apps, books, shows, podcasts. Obviously you have your book too. So feel free to throw that in there. Uh, what should we use if we're looking for more resources to kick off our process? I think the first thing that everyone should do is first get in the right mindset and first realize that you're worthy of wealth. Like yes, mm-hmm. you with your bad spending habits <laughs> that you had in the past, your student loan debt, your bad credit, you are actually worthy of it and you can build it with what you have right now, starting from the ground up. So remember that, (laughs) remember that affirmation. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, if you guys are looking for additional resources, you can find me on Instagram at the key resource. I'm always sharing. I like, I literally love sharing resources and that's why, you know, the key resource, but um yeah, I, I would love to chat with you guys. If you have questions, definitely let me know. Awesome. Well, Kendra, thank you so much for joining the podcast. You dropped so many gems today, and I know it's going to help a lot of people. So I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks, Zuri. And congrats again on becoming a homeowner. Thank you. Now I got to furnish this thing. Oh, God, yes. help me. <laughs> Hi, happy. Yes. Thank you again so much to Kendra for this initial 101 moment into the home buying experience. I hope y'all found it helpful. I certainly would have loved to have had an episode like this that I'd listened to before I kind of dove in head first to the home buying process. But also, honestly, y'all, there's something to be said for just diving in. There's a lot of stuff you just won't get until you get it, until you're like in it, right? It's like throwing a kid in the water and they just got to figure out how to swim. Nobody else did that. I know a couple people who that's how they learn how to swim. Kind of messed up when you think about it, but they're really good swimmers now. Um, So we're going to do a part two of this subject because it's so heavy. It's so detailed and one episode wouldn't do it justice. So today we talked from a general perspective. Part two, we're going to get into the nitty gritty. We're going to talk to a real estate agent. We're going to talk to a loan officer. We're going to talk down payments, interest rates, how to get more bang for your buck, money, numbers, concrete numbers. Okay. Um, So stick around for that so we can help you make your home buying dreams come true. Our upcoming episodes are, you know, diving deeper into the career and finance of it all. We're going to be talking networking, navigating the corporate world, the dynamics of working in a male-dominated space, and we're keeping it real sexy with the finances, y'all, dipping into investing and a little crypto 101. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin, baby, to the moon. So make sure you stick around because we are helping you get those bags. We're helping you get that money right. And if you have an amazing story of a real woman or maybe want to share your own, don't forget you can send submissions to hello at hothappymess.com and check out hothappymess.com in the meantime for all the show notes, resources, links, and info on our experts. In the meantime, leave that five-star review. Follow me on Insta at Zuri Hall and at Hot Happy Mess, and I will see you next Monday. Bye. 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 I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite, with just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you feeling overwhelmed by anxiety, struggling to find restful sleep, or plagued by a restless inability to focus? It's time to break free from the chains of mental health challenges and discover a path to healthy living. Welcome to Amen University, founded by renowned psychiatrist and brain health expert, Dr. Daniel Amen. Dr. Amen, alongside a team of esteemed doctors and experts in their fields, understands the struggles you're facing and are here to offer solutions. From debilitating anxiety to sleepless nights filled with worry, our courses are meticulously crafted to target these specific challenges head on. Join us on a journey of transformation led by Dr. Amen and a roster of top-tier professionals. Say goodbye to the constant battle with your mind and embrace a future filled with hope and possibility. Visit our website today to explore our courses and start your journey towards a brighter tomorrow. Use code BRAIN10 and get 10% off. That's code BRAIN10 and get 10% off your first purchase. Amen University, because your mental health matters.